Hello, and welcome to another episode of Miles Rob Podcast. A podcast where you speak to transcendent and unique and tantalizing people. People who help people like you and me make what we love a full-time job. In this episode, we speak to the awesome and the sumptuous James Horscroft. He is the chief chief boss of the magnificent sketch group Biscuit Barrel Factory. <laughs> they are a unique troupe and he is someone you're going to absolutely love. Hello James. Hello. How are we doing today James? Uh, well I'm sitting around talking to you and otherwise I'm just uh, chilling having a good well a uh, adequate lockdown i'll give you that a... <laughs> how would you describe an adequate lockdown <laughs> um succumbing to the baking trend a year late i'd say because i was this because there was the first wave of banana bread and and such it completely skipped me by and now here i am i am making a birthday cake today oh delicious i, I the thing is like the worst birthday cakes are like the you know those little kiddie ones that you see with a Buzz Lightyear thing. Oh, oh yeah. no! Don't don't do the Buzz Lightyear ones. That's that that's that's sacred. That is some sacred nineties nostalgia. The Buzz Lightyear one. But banana bread, like tight, like Chinese cream cakes for birthday cakes, and like. Oh God! I I, I I would I I would walk away from someone who presented me with banana bread as a birthday cake, like. <laughs> That that is a sin. That is a <laughs> what about a chocolate chip muffin as a, as a birthday cake? Chocolate chip muffin. I I I mean, if you did a pyramid of lots of chocolate chip muffins, then yes. If it's what if it's one, it's kind of like you clearly don't care about me. Like <laughs> one chocolate chip muffin with a candle in. I don't think so. Oh, um, I'll tell you what they do have. They have those. Uh, they have you know French fancies. No, what are they? Um, they're the cake with the little bubble on the top full of cream. Um, and uh, so you can get the yellow, pink and uh, chocolate ones. Um, they do a giant one of those. And I need to do, I need to eat that before I die because, my God, it looks great. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God, sounds good. I'm going to look it up in a few minutes. That sounds yeah, good. Yeah, go for it. That's a, <laughs> What disappointed me was that the ha that the Haribo birthday cake isn't pure Haribo. Like I want, a, like I don't expect a cake. I expect pure Haribo gelatine uh, goodness to just cut cut through and bite into. I don't want cake in my in my Haribo birthday cake. But that's my birth that's my birthday cake talk anyway. You know, you can just you can just snip this bit off and have it as its own separate segment. <laughs> <laughs> this is gonna be on bake off. Yeah. So like James, just tell us a bit about your story. Like what, what got you into comedy and like yeah, tell us your journey. Uh well I mean I heard I, I, I this is this is kind of taken from Sarah Millican, but um uh you know, you go to school. People laugh at you, and you decide to charge them for it, and that—that's—that's that's the start of my story. <laughs> yeah, that's—I think that's what a lot of us comedians are like. Like we, we yeah. make people laugh, and when we see something, and people are like, "We could get paid for this." Yeah, I'd love to do it. 
yeah that that's exactly it it's kind of wait there's 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 money in this if you work at it that's that's that sounds good to me um that is quite interesting because one thing i don't look at is that so you're you're the founder and the boss of biscuit yeah well so it was basic it was yeah no it was my idea and uh uh, to have a little i went to university to form a sketch group um to take to edinburgh fringe by the time i leave in third year that was my goal um and so basically uh i saw this opportunity for an open project as part of my course which was a uh, professional writing course combined with drama um, and um, so basically I used that as an excuse to start the group and trick these poor people into becoming part of it and um, now nearly you know four and a bit years later they're still they're still stuck you know I, I what can I say I'm a I'm a criminal but um, yeah no so I tricked them into the group uh, we did a first show uh apparently in the pro in the open project you're not you weren't supposed to charge for the show but i didn't (laughs) i didn't find that out until it was too late so i uh, so it was a quid a ticket um we made uh like 70 to 80 quid um i think it was it was 70 people turned up but uh we got a bit of uh uh, some people were a bit more generous so so we managed to make 80 quid off our first ever show which was like i think it was like 2016 um and um and then I was like, I'm go- I'm gonna f- found a comedy group on this, and uh, you know, uh, we've just been going ever since, and just continue to grow. Really, that's um, that was kind of the beginning of the story. How does sort of biscuit, but like, but I did a bit of research, and like from what it seems that you you all play a unique role within this sketch group. Yeah, yeah. Well, um, we got definitely got different traits anyway. Um, so um uh the first person i'll go to is uh my uh co-writer and um our main graphics guy for social media so alex denley spencer uh paul he's he's um you know he's very very much as responsible for a, a lot of the group's identity and content as i am really because whilst i started a group he was the first person to come on and is really like one of the primary creators for everything so so um you, you know that's the first guy i'll mention um it, the most most of the material that's the most unusual and disturbing usually comes from him <laughs> i think it'd be the first to admit that um my my mine's mainly kind of <laughs> the uh kind of uh wordy thesaurus writing ones i'll call it um we will uh, and then like any that anything that's close to the beatles yellow submarine territory um is probably him so we're the t- we're the two main writers but the other others do contribute as well um so the other guy um who does contributes to the writing is uh he's called daryl um, he's also known as Daz Reviews, and he's um, he's quite successful on YouTube at the mo- moment. So he does he does U- uh, film reviews and editorials on YouTube. He's currently got um, I think I think he's on, I think he's just hit two hundred and fifty thousand subscribers. Which Whoa. back when we started that was you know that wasn't the case. This is a thing this is a thing that's grown in the past few years. 
Um, and he's just doing, he's doing really well at it. We're all, we're all very jealous. But um, <laughs> um, so he's, he does submit sketches every now and again. Um, and in our last Edinburgh show in 2019, um, he uh, only like one or two of his sketches got into the show. But the one that did was the one that everyone was talking about once we got out. And, you know, we got me, me and Spence, you know, um, so as Spence is Alex, um, uh, we've written like most of the show. And then the one sketch that Daryl gets in is the one that everyone's like, oh, I love that. So it was a, the sketch was a, a Bop It sketch where basically one person was miming playing Bop It and we were all doing the soundscape of the noises behind it, behind the, the curtain. And... Um, <laughs> So uh, the premise of the sketch is like, it goes, everything's going normal, you know, bop it, twist it, flick it. And then halfway through the bop it machine just goes, spank it. And, um, then, and then proceeds to say some pretty disturbing things. But uh, that was a sketch everyone liked apparently going out the show. And um, <laughs> you know, it was like, brr, Daryl. Yeah. Um, so <laughs> that's, that's Daryl. And then uh, the, the others, um, I'm primarily performers for the group. So we got Cap, um, so Capriella, um, she's, she's been on the Bristol stand-up circuit for a few, few years now. Like I think she started when she was 16. Um, and you know, she's, she's great. She's, um, definitely the strongest, uh, when it comes, like it comes to just comic timing and, um, like I think you get us. You've got a diff, as a stand-up, you've got a different mindset to someone else in the group who might be primarily uh, primarily an actor. Um, I think there's just a different thing. You like you get a better rapport from the audience because you know how the mechanics of an audience works. Um, so she's great. We've got Zoe who uh, joined the um, group uh, just before Cap, I think. Um, and uh, no, she's great. I'd say she's more in the actor car uh, category. She's a very good actor. And then we finally got uh, Tom, who's uh, who's um, doing a lot of things in his own life at the moment. So he's kind of on on and off with the group at the moment. But um, uh, he's the he's he's the tall one. Uh, uh, but he's he's very talented in his own right. So um, that that's us. Um, that's been that's been the, that's been the shape of the group for like three three years now. Um, so and we've been going for four and a half. So yeah, that's us. <laughs> I've got two sort of questions to follow up on that. And yeah. one of the questions I'd like to ask is how does sketch comedy, what are the mechanics of sketch comedy and how does it differ to other forms of comedy? And also so, how have you maintained the relationship with each other to produce shows? Um, so it's a, what the first one's a bit of uh, I guess a bit of an advantage to against a solo performer because we, we are a group so no matter how well the show's going or how badly the show's going we've got the support of all five or six of us um which is uh you know we we can get through things as a as a team and uh, the team dynamic i guess is very is first of all very different to you know opposed to being a a stand-up or a solo uh character comic um so uh i suppose particularly in gigs uh that's a particular thing because usually it's about three we we reduce it in gigs to about three performers but that's still like a team to get through the like what i'd say is the hardest chunk of comedy i don't know about you but i think that when you're gigging you're essentially testing material for a longer show and whilst 
whilst it is also difficult to hold an audience's attention for a longer period of time, at least you've tested all the stuff. Whereas when you're gig, when you're gigging, you're often bringing stuff you've never done before. And, um, you know, there's a great risk to that. So I guess a group rapport is one thing. Uh, another thing is the writing's very different because you're essentially writing lots of very short scenes. Um, so it's it, like our last show was 69 sketches in an hour. Um, it was essentially, you're essentially doing 69 mini scenes, uh, which um, can be a nightmare, of course. <laughs> like we have a running order backstage to keep us in check, but um, by, by like, you know, like the beast that is Edinburgh Fringe, you know, you tend to uh, get the running order in your head eventually. So you're eventually running around with like 69 sketches in your head, or of course you're not in all of them. So it might be a bit less than that, but otherwise you've got the full running order of the show in your, in your head. And uh, so I guess that's another key thing is that you've got it so, like particularly with us who do so many, like you've got every, all the material divided up into clear, clear bits. Um, so, and again, it's not your singular responsibility to remember all that, or no, in some ways it is, because if you let, let yourself down, you're letting down a whole team of people, so you can't dig yourself back up. So, um, so I guess that's, that's, that's the main thing, um, I, I can think of in terms of the difference. It's almost like you're, for a full show, you're writing a very manic play, um, <laughs> where none of the scenes relate to each other, except for the, the running storyline, of course. And that's, that's quite an interesting thing, because one thing that I've found, like doing comedy, this is only a thing sort of, I think, because stand-up's so singular, in, in some respects it makes it, yeah, you guys have that accountability. And I think in any sort of work you're doing, having accountability is so important. Yeah. And like having someone to talk to of ideas or like just someone to talk to AI ideas, you need that man. Or like yeah. if you've got someone to work for and you have to finish the deadline because you will by yourself either delude yourself or get lazy, I feel. And that, I feel yeah. that's... Yeah, oh, that's so true, actually. Yeah, yeah. No, um, you, need that, you need a motivation of that, like accountability of other people. Um, absolutely. Um, like... Um, we're working on so we we so it's coming so it starts on saturday but we're we've done a audio comedy series uh which is about six audio sketch shows basically um and with that we haven't had the pressure of an outside party uh relying relying on us so it's really been getting everything done in time for the group to record it to that's really spurred us along so um yeah i can absolutely see, see how that feeds into it one of the things that I find interesting, because you're in a group and all that, I, I some being stand up, I don't often sort of work with others in the material, but I'm getting more into that now. Yeah. Um, I did a few projects whilst I went to Goliath and let's do it short. Like we would have to work in different scenes together. And the thing is, often a lot of the times people will be like, my way is right. And your way is wrong sort of thing there's never sort of any open-mindedness of like maybe this is right or this is wrong and often what would happen in groups is it would go one person's way but then other people will follow along and they wouldn't feel like they invested into it and yeah. i feel that if it's if a lot of things are decisions that aren't people aren't invested in it's going to be a lot harder for it to be good 
And one yeah. thing I want to ask, you guys have been working for three or four years. You must have had lots of challenges, lots of ups and downs, lots of disagreements. And like, oh, how yeah. do you make things work and also keep things amicable where you work well together? And it, it, yeah, it must be cha very challenging. Yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. Well, um, in the re I guess the first thing will be the script changes in the rehearsal space, particularly if we rehearse like do it like a week or even on our first year we did a, we did a two-week intensive before the first Edinburgh Fringe um and yeah like you have to lose your sentimentality to material you value quite quickly because you've got you have you've got five other vo you've got five other voices in there who will want to rephrase a lot into their own into their own thing and you don't want to exclude that so um, I kind of coined our working environment quite early on as a kind of uh, a creatively communist environment <laughs> where whilst you've got um, often me and Alex being like a director if there was one, um, the rest of the group have equal impact into the execution of the show um, and also how certain bits in the script are phrased. I mean the script is workshopped through them as well before the rehearsal even starts but um, when you have so whilst you have a we have a script is often like devising the show as well as rehearsing it the show kind of evolves and um i guess that carry that the rehearsals don't stop in the rehearsals the first week of shows you the show's still changing as well because you've now got an actual audience to reshape the weaker and stronger bits of it uh so yeah uh <laughs> only creatively but there's there's um communism in the group dynamic <laughs> you're the boss <laughs> yeah business business wise yeah I, I i i bring the um the, the dictatorship on a bit more but um in the creative environment it's uh it's very much an open space okay good. yeah it is challenging as hell and one thing i suppose that maybe improvisers and sketch groups can take more so is that they can take their stuff more to other things like online stuff social media yeah. um like podcasts and all that it's a lot you can take more to it what's well, a stand-up it's boom 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 and then they have to change it to try and get followers on social media like mo jilligan he does a lot of sketch videos nigel yeah. Run, he did the character act in a sketch which is completely yeah. different from stand-up no, I, I I really respect that to be fair, because really with like when uh, a stand-up has to trans has to transition to sketches, particularly you know in the last year, you know, um, not only has there been a kind of like call to be pushed into transferring to sketch comedy online, but because we're all isolated, you know, you like it's and you're your own act anyway, like you have to do a lot of the filming and of it yourself and you're playing all the characters or the sketch is just one character um and uh yeah that's really difficult and you know um it's not easy um because i mean for one the group um last year we didn't really do a lot at all it's like from march um we we took a quite a long long break because even with the sketches we filmed uh, we did that as a unit and had each other to support each other through that. So it actually wasn't until September that we really started work on the podcast because we'd just taken this break between March and August. Um, probably mainly morning and a fringe because um, for us, that's probably the first August we'd had in years because 
in our world, August doesn't exist. It's July and a fringe September, you know? <laughs> so um, I totally uh, respect people who got off their asses um, because they couldn't get any gig gigs with this all closed down and just um, film themselves and go on with it. Um, I think um, it's, it's Admiral, but it's definitely more difficult than when we filmed as a, as a group. Um, so yeah, no, I, like, um, no, you're absolutely right. It's, 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 it's tough. <laughs> it's, it's been tough on the entire comedy circuit and particularly for standups. So one of the things that I want to look at is, but yeah, I mean, you, you guys have sort of set up your own night where you mix sketch with standup. How does that work? And how long have you guys been doing that for? Um, this is a more recent thing. Well, I say more recent thing, 2020's aged everything, but uh, it was really, um, it wasn't until winter 2019 that we really got that together and then we got like three good runs of it and then the lockdown, but the three good runs of it were three, oh, um, so basically um, the sketch show becomes the compare, which is interesting. Um, so uh, basically uh, we do an opening 10 to 12 minutes um, and with us we when we're doing gigs um, or a comedy night we do our fastest sketches so to kind of uh, showcase the format because we do have longer sketches uh, we, we try not to exceed two minutes but um, uh, you know for the sake of just here's a chunk of what we do we'll do the fast stuff um, so we'll do like a 10 minute run of um, almost 20 sketches um uh which get you know we'll, we'll wake up the audience a bit and then in the last sketch we'll weave in the introduction to uh to to the first act um so for instance a good example would be we've got a sketch called keyboard warrior and it goes so one guy's on the stage their friend comes up and it's like hey did you put a dodgy post on facebook and he's like yeah it's like you do know there's a keyboard warrior coming after you and, he, and then he's like what the fuck's a keyboard warrior and then suddenly the keyboard warrior with a cardboard keyboard whacks him around the face and beats them to the ground um and then so that happened and and then basically the person who's just been whacked to the ground will slowly stand up and say please welcome Danny Johns and then so um and then that's how that's kind of the format um so we'll basically so basically it doesn't matter so we um do still support the uh I guess we still want to give opportunities for stand-ups in the show whilst giving something a bit different so we'll have a lot of stand-ups in in there in between um it's kind of and I guess it's kind of a role reversal to what we're used to when we gig gigging um but we also get particularly in the second half of the show we'll get other acts so we've had um we've had a couple musical comedy acts and uh, and a drag act as well um which has been a lot of fun so it's kind of like um making a kind of toy box of a comedy night i suppose um and that and uh, we really sold it as uh you know uh, five acts hosted by sketch show that's that's our format um and um uh, people pe people people showed up and were really chuffed <laughs> um so once this once this shit show's all over we're definitely going to pick pick it back up um because we had a great time of it and um and were really i guess surprised by the success of it because it's hard establishing a new comedy night um when like we've done gigs in bristol but it doesn't mean that 
Bristol's aware of who we are, you know. Um, we really had to just um, bite the bullet and uh, go, just go anal with the promotion. Um, so, uh, yeah, that's that's the comedy night. <laughs> Tell us a bit about the structure of the night and like, how, what do you think made it work? And maybe what, what leads to a lot of other nights that you've been to in Brighton and Bristol, perhaps not having the same success? Um, well, I guess that... Um, what we noticed uh, with a couple of um, comedy nights was that um, I, we, the reason why we were booked a lot of the time is because you don't see a lot of sketch groups doing the circuit. And um, it's kind of like, I guess it's tapping into a um, thing that's not seen that often. Um, because I think visually, um, if for instance, if you've got a two hour comedy night and you've got 10 stand-ups, um, I guess that um, it's hard to, it's like, I mean, you know, the human race's attention spans decreasing as it is. Um, and <laughs> um, I suppose that it's very hard to hold someone's attention with 10 people, 10 people in a microphone. Um, so I guess the idea was to, to kind of show another another way of doing things, where um, you still have a support, have a good support for for stand up comics, because uh, I've, I've like I think it's a you know it's a very valuable art, stand up comedy, and I've I've had a long, very long, great love of it, and wish you know I, I like as a sketch comedian, I wish I could um, I've I'd like to think I've started practicing it um, in our sketch comedy a bit more because uh, uh for instance in the comedy night i'll do an opening spiel before the sketches begin which will go in i guess will answer your format question in a bit but um yeah i suppose it just it supports nights with a heavy stand-up lineup whilst balancing it out with a bit of um bit of comedy garnish <laughs> what, what what so what did you, so i'll, I'll say through this so what what did you write where was the like the gig located was it in a good location near stations and transport um it was near the city center um so it was uh, so yeah it was literally a 10 minute 10 minute walk from uh from cabot circus and maybe a 15 minute walk from cabot circus so um it was so i guess it was quite easy to draw like where the the mass population was um and we made I mainly did that uh, through Facebook advertising, actually. And also, um, Bristol has a wonderful resource on Facebook um, called the, uh, so it's the comedy, so the comedy kettle. I don't know if any, I don't know if other areas have that as well, but you're able to list every comedy event in Bristol on this thing. And that really um, helped us get some traction too. So um, it's ve it very much, it's, it's strange, it's before, you know, this is even before pandemic times that you can see online promotion is already um, becoming quite a dominant uh, force of getting people aware of what's going on. Um, and yeah, no, I, don't, I don't know if we want to go more into that, but um, yeah, no, I, it does seem that even once this is all over, online advertising is becoming more prominent in getting the audience to where you want them to go. Okay, but what, um, what, was the, what was the type, let me, so these are the questions I want to ask. 
how much did you charge? Um, what, what was the title of the show? How long was it? Um, so we cover location. What, yeah, what, so I don't know if they put stand up comedy in Bristol, how would your night sort of stand out as opposed to that? Like, what was, was it the artwork as well? Um, um yes, so, um, uh, obviously in the po in the podcast version, you won't be able to see it, but behind, behind me, there's a, there's a kind of blurry, a blurry zoom version of the poster, um, which, um, it, um, basically it's, it's the biscuit barrel with, uh, explosion of custard creams coming out and it's like biscuit barrels, comedy tin. And, um, at the top, um, we kind of, we kind of pitched it as an, as Bristol's newest comedy night. So it says Bristol's new comedy night. Um, and. Uh, the tagline is five five acts hosted by sketch show question mark um and uh we thought that was an interesting thing by actually pointing out what the format is and what and uh, showing that it's a, it's a bit different um so i think that was one of the first things that got people got people in um on the first on the first show um we we did everything completely on the door because we were really testing it with the first one um, and basically it was a kind of, um, I think it was minimum five pounds. Um, and then just give, um, what else you wish based on how you value the show. And then, um, cut to the more permanent one. We, um, once we did the, I guess the pilot episode, um, we then, um, uh, did online ticketing but there was the option to to go to still put stuff in the bucket and uh i mean we use of course being biscuit barrel the bucket was a biscuit barrel um but so there was online uh online ticketing about 10 pounds uh, per person and then uh, uh an option to donate a bit more in person as well and that that was always good because we um uh on the first on the f first one our card time our kind of target was to be uh, in the neighborhood of um 15 to 20 pounds for um get you know giving the acts a decent a decent pay for the night because we want because so we were paid so we, so um we wanted to be fair on our on our acts so you know you get you know um 15 pounds for a uh 10, 10 minute set um um so it was main so like uh whilst the first one went well you know obviously it wasn't a high profit margin for us but as you know as we did the next one we could start to see where it would benefit us whilst um um paying our acts right so um yeah no so i guess another thing could be that there's more expensive comedy nights to go to whilst you know you get i guess you know you know with a paid comedy night there's some uh faith in in the in the night that you know we're, we're charging in the first place but i guess it's also that if you give them a decent um price that's often a obviously a contributor as well it's kind of like i'm going i'm going to do a comedy night it's not going to cost me that much um so um um and um yeah uh i believe that um the v venue we're at so for the first for the first few before lockdown we were with a venue called the cloak and dagger 
and I think they were serving food that night as well. So there was a few things um, on that first on that first one that got people interested. So it's an amalgamation, but um, yeah, no, I guess the main things were to stand out well enough of the format and uh, pricing it, um, you know, in a, decently. <laughs> and with the venue itself, that's another thing that I want to bring up. I think the venue is very important as well. Mm. I mean, like, so <laughs> I'll talk about my experience. So I, I, I think one of the things with a venue is it's got to be quite close to public transport or it's got to be easy to get mm. to. They've got to support the night. Um, also, yeah, they've got to support the night, like be willing to try this or try that or whatever. And they've got a, I think you've got to have a good re relationship with the venue. You have to trust yeah. Um, they have to be, and also, one thing I do feel, because <laughs> I know this through experience, I made a mistake recently. Um, oh, I'm sorry to hear that. <laughs> no, 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 no. It's, it's, I think one thing is, with whatever happens, even if it's a bad thing, you can learn mm -hmm. from it. And so, like, even if a, if a venue were a bit dodgy or if they got you into mm -hmm. trouble, um, you can learn, you can spot the signs of what not to work with. Yeah. So, yeah, definitely. I've had to, I think, and also I think you should draw up contracts with venues. Yes, no, I, I, I think that um, whilst in the first one we didn't um, have a formal contract with the venue, venue because we didn't know how it was going to go, basically. Um, it was a test one. Um, but I think if you're setting up a long-term plan and you want a kind of residency at the venue, I think... Uh, a contract or at least some kind of <laughs> uh, written agreement um, of you know how you know this is the night and how long it's going to be there um, I think once it's in writing you don't there's just a whole weight of anxiety lifted off that you don't that you it's unnecessary you know there's enough there's enough to be stressed about running a comedy night in the first place so you know deducting as much as you can from the process is um, is very wise. <laughs> I think one of the things as well, London is very saturated with entertainment, though it will be a lot more so now. Yeah. And I feel like in a lot of areas outside of London, comedians say they get paid well and get treated better because they're more appreciative of it. Whilst in London, it's more like people have so much of a choice and people are trying to desperately appease them. Mm. It's a bit like sometimes, I don't know, sometimes you say you're dating or whatever. Like yeah. It, you're trying to impress someone all the time they're not going yeah. to impress you but sometimes if they have to work to impress you they will be more invested in it yeah no i i think i think you know you've to have, to have some, something good there um yeah no um to be fair um uh we've done a we've done a few a few gigs in london as well and um uh we haven't uh, i guess we haven't had um any no we haven't had any like bad experiences with the uh promoter or venue um is, is one is something i could say there was one there was one where <laughs> um they pitched it very well and we we turned up and it wasn't as big a space as we we'd hoped um uh i mean that taps into another time that happened in edinburgh and all six of us turned up for this gig and the space was designed for one stand-up comic and all six of us had turned up to do the set 
Um, and I think that's one thing that maybe may have been true of that venue we did the gig in in London as well, where they didn't do their research into what the act was. Um, because it's kind of like, don't book six people to turn up for to do to do a sketch act when you don't have resources to yeah to to like accommodate the acts because you know for one i'm sure there was many health and safety things broken by us still going ahead and doing that act on those small stages <laughs> but um yeah no so i guess that's one that's one thing that could show a bit more respect for the actual booking is yeah no um make sure that it's a suit your nights a suitable night for them and one of the other things as well is yeah when the venue's just focused on money 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 that's a big that's a big sort of no 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 what way as well i think the venue's got to be like this is going to be a great night it's going to bring the sort of people into the value it's going to be yeah. value to the customers when the venue is just focused on the money I mean, people say that, you know, like money makes the world go around or whatever. Yeah. But if you think of it this way, if you put on a great night and you create a great relationship with the people there or the people that visit there, then it's going to last long term, bring a lot of good energy. Whilst yeah. you focus on the money and you and the venue tries to put work with you under extreme conditions. Yeah. Then you're not going to be happy there. And then it's just like they think that by squeezing you out of money or like just to put you in a dang, uncomfortable position, it's going to produce a lot. No, yeah. it's going to be the reverse opposite. It, it's sort. Of, well, I think we live in a society where a lot of people work on sharp principles, where they want to try and mine as much as they can from you. Yeah, no, that's that's so that's so true actually, because that's the thing. The like, um, I mean, for instance, the venue we went for with our own comedy night understood that you know that we're bringing a positive experience to them, and you know. And if said night goes well, you know they they will have a lot of drinks revenue, a lot of you know the um, the um, but like the bar will be full if you know. Um, so you know we we went into that with a kind of co beneficial agreement, you know, rather rather than like having being said, okay, you have to pay us this certain amount. Um, so you know, I I do think that's a that's uh yeah problematic um particularly you know um if it's for instance like uh you know i've sometimes known some open mic nights that have like been in a quite <laughs> a tight agreement with uh the venue that they were operating in and it didn't, it didn't seem fair is that because it's it's a it's a support night for new talent you know the, a lot of these venues will get their higher profile nights and um you know particularly when it comes to some you know something like open mic which you know um like we would we we would still um you know they were open mics were very important to us to you know our development and particularly when we started as a student comedy act, you know, where, where, where we're going to get without them. And um, I do think, particularly in London, there needs to be more res respect for what the, uh, what, what an open mic is and what, you know, other, other, other kind of growing comedy nights are. Um, because, 
you know, it's a better long-term relationship. The audience, they get a lot of benefit from the audience having a positive experience they associate with that venue. And um, particularly after this pandemic, there's going to be, a, there's going to be a need a big outpouring of support for um, the whole comedy circuit and the arts in general. So um, yeah, no, I think, I think, I think you're right. There needs to be less tight parameters with some venues. One thing I want to look at as well. So, I'll I'll we'll play James Bond with this. Yes, sure thing. <laughs> you work in sort of like the press and marketing for Comedy Club in the UK as well. Yes, very well put. Um, <laughs> yeah, no, um, no. So obviously that's become an avenue recently come up as well. And you know, you know, um, what I can say is that there's all like you know in terms of the marketing for something, you've always got to have um, acknowledgement and respect of all the events happening in your venue. And, um, you know, particularly in the weeks leading up to a show, if you haven't got anything acknowledging the, an event in your own venue, then you're doing something very wrong. And, um, uh, you know, uh, if there's an event that you disrespect and don't acknowledge, um, on social media and then they turn out to be very successful then uh, that's very damning for your outer relationships in the circuit so um, so yeah that's what that's what I can say there is that you like on social media and marketing you always need to acknowledge your, your acts and your shows that's rule one <laughs> what what how did you how do you find the what have you learned from like i mean it's a great thing you get to talk to a lot of other comedians performers mm. and you probably maybe yeah it's going to help you guys a lot being involved yeah. with them and yeah how does sort of like mar managing the pr marketing of a another comedy club measure with what you're currently doing and how have you learned from that um, so I, I guess you get more of an understanding of what's going on from the performer's perspective because you like you know if you're with a certain a venue for a festival and it takes a bit of time to hear back from them you're kind of what am I doing but you, for, you forget there's so many shows going on <laughs> there's so many and um if you've got one if you're one date in a whole week of luck um of lineups you know of course the response time is gonna be quite but well, i mean um uh this year has been interesting to navigate because there's been a lot of a lot of get prepared prepared to prepare for an event events cancelled you know there's been a lot of that um so i guess just a more of a mutual respect for both sides of the of the um coin in that respect but also um uh where that i guess where things can go go wrong um when you're working working with a venue as your comedy group uh, so you know it's like so it's been a lot of hmm, hang on they didn't do that yeah so um it's very 
yeah, no, but you know, they, they, like I've had a good time, time there. They've looked after me through this pandemic. So I'm very grateful. <laughs> um, but, uh, yeah, um, yeah, generally with barrel though, I, I'm tr trying to keep things, um, compartmentalized. <laughs> yeah. So, um, I guess that's the main things I've got to say there. Um, what would you notice is the difference between the club you work for? Actually, no, we've already covered this, but um, in particular, how is the setup different to like a comedy club in a pub in the room upstairs to where you work? Mm, interesting. Um, so, just just a greater level of organisation responsibilities, I guess, the main one. That's, uh, yeah um yeah no i suppose that's my main that's my main takeaway is it's the, it's the you know it's the same it's the same machine it's just a bigger one so you know uh when it's that's the specialty of the um of the beast and um yeah okay and what one of the things i want to look at is Oh, we covered a lot there. Uh, yeah. <laughs> um, so what is the career path of like a sketch comedy group? Because like when I look at improv and sketch, I'm, I'm a bit unknowledgeable about it because I know that we've asked fair enough. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, no, um, I guess we just, um, the aim of the game is to carry on doing what we do what we do and and keep growing it and seeing where it goes because you know whilst i'm happy in the position it is you know i i can have like a multitude of facets to what i do in my life but um the more dominant that become, can become part of it the better um and we want to do more festivals and such you know uh, for instance there's a lot of contention of what's happening at the fringe this year um obviously um and so if something was to happen and it was either not happening this in the same capacity it would usually do so or not happening at all um we'd look into how we can use that budgeted time differently um you know we've for a few years now we've looked into potentially doing a run at the second biggest fringe festival in the world which is adelaide fringe in australia and I guess that would be our, just kind of be our opportunity to, well, grow our outreach, but also, you know, use this, use this group we have as a resource to uh, expand our life experience. You know, it's, uh, you know, uh, we're all in our, um, we're in the, the kind of early to late 20 boundary, even though I'm kind of mid 20s. Um, and uh, you get to that age and you get a sense that you want to travel a bit but what what better way to travel than to take the thing you love doing and your passion with you and showcasing it to the places you go um, I think that and that's something I'm very interested in doing is um, uh, is that uh, so I guess that's the main outcome and um, beyond beyond that like something that would help us a lot is to is the next step which would be to get some kind of professional management um uh 
that would be something that would establish what we do as our primary thing and it, like it'd be a dream come true you know um obviously we, there's still all the pressures that come with the group and everything if that were to happen but it would just be that extra le layer of um uh professionalism i guess is the word uh that would solidify what we do what we do as as uh full-time practice which would be the dream so you know i i i guess that i don't get too obsessed with the with uh thinking about the direction of things all the time i think what's possible and how do we get there and then and then just otherwise do everything in the present to help help that along and uh i just guess continue what we're doing and um see where it goes hmm. what, what have been so what have been some sort of stories of like sketch group of improvisers to have gone to the but there's we are crying isn't there with um greg davis who's gotten on tv and do that and yeah what what a sort of where do you see it going after you get signed? Like you do lots of gigs and then you go on TV or what, what how does it, how do you see um, it? I think um, I w I'm always reluctant to, to um, envisioning the, t the TV thing because it would be such a big step. Um, obviously, I always think it's, possi it's possible, but it's not, it's kind of, I guess I don't walk around, walk around saying, oh yeah, no, we'll get on TV in the next five years. Um, but um, I suppose, uh, there's a few companies that have done well just living off touring around doing their doing their thing doing their show and some online re outreach so you got um so you know the uh the noise next door for instance is a big one i don't know if you've heard of them um so we've got them uh four alarms and hogs uh big uh, a big one because they managed to use their uh, festival and show work to build a big online following uh, which um, has done them very well and, um, so so I guess that would be a big uh, influence for us kind of business wise as well um, is how they've become the success they are um, and it says them them uh, and another another uh, well that's really been my main contemporary influence since I was like 17 was um, a group called the Sleeping Trees who are um, started as a sketch comedy group and they do more kind of that narratively fueled shows as well where they play all the characters in one narrative which um, I've always thought was genius but um, they, they, they are also a successful example of that model where they've just uh, toured um, run comedy nights uh, done all done all this stuff and um made a made a made a living off of it you know um um un obviously outside of t tv and um that more profound end of the industry you know your your um living's got a cap i guess you know you can um there's only a certain amount you you can get get to without the next step but you know, I, uh, you, you like people have got to the point where they do earn enough of that uh, from that, and I think that if 
that were to be the final outcome um of of that you know i'd you know i'd live a i'd live a happy man really um i, I think as long as you're uh earning substan substantially um, enough to live off it um that's the that's the dream come true and um the, and um a, the key to a happy life you know um just do what makes you happy there's a <laughs> oh god <laughs> ah, do what makes you happy that i mean that that saying is you know you don't know who you're talking to if you're talking to someone who's a bit mad what makes yeah. you happy is hurt. oh yeah yeah you know it's kind of like if some somebody's like i don't know <laughs> oh well you know my favorite thing's stuffing smarties into people's ear and running away laughing then um maybe you should point out you can't really earn much money off that um but, <laughs> but, <laughs> but um yeah no, as far as comedy goes uh <laughs> yeah no maybe like um it depends what, what makes uh what makes you laugh i suppose uh yeah like, like i'm sure the guy stuff smarties into people's ears finds it very funny but um uh, you're not going to make a living off that <laughs> oh <laughs> uh, i've got the smarties ready man <laughs> <laughs> oh sorry i didn't know that was you that was a <laughs> How do you see what do you think is going to happen to comedy as a whole? And like, oh, that's a that's that's a more difficult question than it used to be. Um, <laughs> um, I to be honest, um, there is like, like I know there's been a fear that that things could deplete a bit because of the pandemic. Um, I think there's going to be a bit of, um, you know, there's obviously already. A bit of a um, recession as the arts go as far as the arts go um but the thing with all these things that aren't happening currently because people can't do it um that's that's less of it dying out than more like it's more like a wind-up toy you know it's, be, it's been held back for ages and as soon as it's released it's going to go you know um i i really think that once we're through this and life performance can go back to what it was um i think that attendance is going to be through the roof you know uh if you can make it through this next difficult six months or a year um I've, i really think that there's going to be um i don't want to say, i'm gonna have to say resurgence i didn't want to say resurgence but it is going to be a resurgence and i i think uh touch wood it's going to be fine in the end. Just got more shit to get through first. Walking film, eh? <laughs> yeah. 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 It's how hard you can get hit and keep moving forward. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I, I don't have a good Stallone impression. I don't know if you can tell. Um, <laughs> That's how he is. He's got a very unique voice. But... Yeah. Like, um, yeah, I don't, I don't really know anybody who can do the impression that well. It's, a, it's, very, it's very deep. Um, no no i'm not gonna attempt it not, i've kept i've kept like a good 40 minutes of dignity i, I don't want to break it <laughs> i've not kept any so i i can do the rest of the podcast like that no <laughs> yeah I mean, you can you can pick up the you can pick up the sly impression if you want that's <laughs> uh, i mean I, I admire him but it's just one of those things isn't it mm. but 
No, no, they no. He's still going, bless him, isn't he? A, <laughs> I mean, there's more plastic in him now than one of his toys in the 70s. But, um, uh, <laughs> but this is going into another direction. Let's stop it there. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Enough of um, Hollywood plastic surgery. That's a oh, God. Imagine a stand-up comedy, Love Island. Imagine what they're called, comedians from around the world. <laughs> yeah. Like Love Island, but they're all comedians. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, that's an image. Um, <laughs> that wouldn't that be a strange uh, or react Big Brother with comedians? <laughs> no, yeah. <laughs> well, there's a sketch there. <laughs> What's that? Big Brother of comedians. There's a sketch there. Oh, oh yeah. Now we can do something with that. That's <laughs> uh, day forty-two in the dining room. Duh, 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 duh. <laughs> I mean, I'd do. I'd do a. Uh, big brother of, with serial killers that that because you know that there's actual stakes there you know like, like, <laughs> uh, you know that's that's how you do that's how you do hunger games oh god <laughs> yeah you know if they just did that in america remove the death penalty do that instead you know <laughs> well you talk about a purge now stop it no it's a contained purge for tv purposes but <laughs> uh, oh. I don't know, like, <laughs> um, you know, in the current America, that wouldn't even surprise me. But um, <laughs> um, but we won't go into too morbid a topic. <laughs> I think we're going to get rid of this. No. <laughs> yeah. So one of the things I want to look at now is that, like, what sort of um, advice would you give to your younger self? And like, what is the quote you would like to live the rest of your life by? And who is your hero? Oh, that's an interesting one. Um, I guess to the the uh, fifteen year old making YouTube sketches that weren't very good, I'd be like, mate, this will be funny eventually. Not right now. Not for a couple years. But once you get the balls to stick this in front of an audience, you'll learn to not be shit. Go at it, boy. Um, <laughs> um, there's that. Um, I guess the quote, I've got a quote that's kind of got me through all this stuff. Um, again, getting uh, the barrel to where it currently is and where it will hopefully be in the next few years. Um, it is, those who succeed are stupid are the ones stupid enough to try in the first place <laughs> because when you start things as crazy as getting into comedy you do feel like the biggest idiot because it's kind of like, like, like it's, uh, you don't they're kind of like i'm not gonna make anything out of this like it, like i'm gonna like just make a dick of myself in front of a whole bunch of people um so you do you do feel stupid at the start but the more stupid you feel the more like you know the more likely you're going to push through and get to where you want to be because um that that's how get things get done but also you have a self-awareness as well because the people who do end up looking the most stupid are the ones who think they're brilliant first off and you know it, it goes you know code x-factor audition you know so I think having that humility, but carry, carrying on, you know, it's humility, resilience, and pushing through until you get to 
where you want to be. Um, I guess that's the quote. Um, and heroes, that's an interesting one because like my generic answer would be um, John Cleese off the basis that his works most is the stuff that's influenced me the most. Um, um, and in Edinburgh Fringe 2018, actually, we were lucky enough to get into this um, Q and A event with him, and that was that was pretty that was that was something. Um, uh, I've forgotten what the question was, but the like uh, one of the groups, so Capriella, got to ask a question to him. Um, I don't remember what the question was, um, uh, but I remember the question following was kind of. And what can you do with that? And I said, fuck all through the microphone. So the only thing I've ever said to John Cleese was fuck all, literally. And I've got to, I've got to go to the grave. That I was like, that's the only thing I've ever, I'm ever going to get to say to him was fuck all. <laughs> uh, but, but um, yeah, so that's kind of like my kind of surface, surface level generic answer. Um, but I think that, if I was to go on who's really influenced me to get to go up and do this stuff, it would probably be collectively the uh, uh, the Sleeping Trees group I mentioned earlier because re they came um, to my sixth form college and did, did a show there and that was the moment that really sparked to me that I want to do what they can do. You know, that all they, you know, they, they went to university, they they, I mean, they got together at university, they just put together what they wanted to do, even though, you know, I think that's one one thing stigma I needed to get over was that a lot of the successful sketch groups that you've seen on TV went through Ox, went through Oxbridge and I didn't come from that background. Um, and here is this group doing what they wanted to do, making a living off it, coming into college with the university they came from and, um, and uh, giving it a good go um, and doing well with it. And um, that was the moment where I was like, I want to do that. So I guess uh, if I went for a more uh, specific niche answer, it'd be that. What has been the biggest, like, what the fuck moment during your journey? And what has been, what has been, what has, what has comedy given you? Hmm. That's an interesting one. Our first, our first gig. So, um, our first gig was actually after our first two full shows in which we had in our first two, two full shows there on a university campus. Our humor was very student at the time, obviously. Um, and, uh, like we got a big turnout, but you know, at least half of them were our friends. So, so we gone from this very kind of cushioned start to um, going straight into a pub gig. And uh, we didn't realize that people would talk over the acts if they felt like it, <laughs> like, you know, so we, and um, we um, came from this really, naive place where we thought ah oh, we haven't done the show with microphones 
oh, you don't need one in a pub where everyone else is using a microphone. Um, so we turned up, did this 10 minute set without any mics uh, um, because it didn't fit in the acts we'd rehearsed. So we did it without any mics. So only the front two rows could probably hear what we were doing anyway. Um, like two people in the front row were laughing. Otherwise, everyone, everyone in the pub was talking between each other and not listening to what was going on. Um, and then what it turned out to be was that, uh, like, well, not only was that the culture anyway, and uh, we'd really just not done our homework and made an embarrassment of ourselves, but also um, the headline act had brought our, like a group of 20 to the pub. And, uh, <laughs> and so they were talking over everyone else's acts. And then when the headliner came on, they stopped and laughed at everything. <laughs> so, so that was kind of a big, what the, f what the fuck, what is this? Like, oh, <laughs> that's not, I thought that we'd turn up, we wouldn't need a microphone and people would listen to us and laugh at everything we said and did. Um, turns out that's not the case. That's a, <laughs> we need to learn to not to be less, less shit and um, be more real about doing a gig in a pub. So I guess that was the, what, that was the, what the fuck moment. Um, what, what was the one after, what was the one you asked after that? What has comedy brought you and how have you changed? Um, so what comedy brought me and how I've changed? Okay. Um, uh, I guess the, like straightforward answer would be um would be confidence i guess like uh uh particularly uh, as a teenager i was i was very uh introverted um and also at school the i guess the nobody wanted to talk about what i wanted to talk about because i was you know i was a comedy crazed from quite young and I was just like I like had every comedy you can think of in my head and uh turns out the average kid doesn't have that they, they've got they've, they've got football and playstation in their head and um so um I guess that I always had this typical the typical sense that comedians generally have which is being an outsider um, but it just turned out I needed to find my people. Um, and I think as you get into the latter end of your teens and then, um, into your twenties, you get that kind of, you get to find the people will work for you a bit more. Um, and, um, I suppose that kind of self-assurance self and, uh, confidence and thick skin that you need in comedy is really what's, um, what I benefited from it, you know, um, being less sensitive when, when, uh, nobody in the audience is listening to you and being less sensitive when something's not working. Um, so I suppose that's my main, that's how I've really grown since starting comedy is all those, is all those things. Cause you're just learning to be a better communicator really. Um, yeah, I think that's the that main takeaway. Just um, basic personality things. <laughs> yeah, that's okay. And if if it was so, and would you say that's the thing you love most about comedy? What it's given you? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, I, I've 
gotten a lot more out of comedy than it's taken away that's for sure um you know it's very much in multiple facets it's um it's very much what my life um encompasses uh, like you know um uh creatively and professionally anyway um and um it, yeah definitely once i learned to work with it i gained a lot more than i lost so uh yeah okay well just want to say um thank you very much for coming on the podcast is there anything you'd like to plug oh well no, thank you very much for having me on first of all um i guess the main thing is um this saturday is when so saturday the 23rd is when our um, audio series starts so it's the, the biscuit barrel broadcast uh, so a bit of alliteration there um yeah audio sketch each episode is about between 15 and 18 minutes long um uh so nice simple listen and um it's that's our project of the past four or five months so that's that's the one biscuit barrel broadcast audio sketch show um so streaming on spotify itunes and uh buzzsprout uh, which is the hosting thing we use um so i guess that's the that's the only thing for us at the moment um and then once we get through this this um um challenging period in the world history um we'll um have a lot more to talk about <laughs> um but yeah again thanks for having me on today um it's, it's been a lot of fun yeah. and let's 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 just say hopefully this will finish soon yeah well you know there's been a lot of um a lot of hard times in the past few weeks um but there is results are coming and um uh i'm not going to say like the end of the tunnel um uh an alternative metaphor to that that i can't think of because okay. we've had enough of that bloody phrase <laughs> during this pandemic so light at the end of the uh, there is a hole at the end of the tube. That sounds like an innuendo. I forget I just said that. <laughs> yes, we will. Um, but uh, yeah, no, we'll get there. <laughs> and adios. And I will hopefully I see you soon, maybe in the Bristol or Brighton comedy circuit. Or yeah, no, no. It'd be nice when we we can actually like all like all comedians can meet up again in person. <laughs> and uh, but um, you know um all the best to you and uh, the best to to this um to this podcast so yeah that's me <laughs> right. see you soon hopefully yeah you see you too um cheers <laughs>